The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years out on that flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 90 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 21st of September, 2021 from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, Rob D and I discuss how we wrapped up the summer of 2021 with some fantastic adventures. I highlight my first aviation event in years as I detail the Redlands inaugural IAC Acrobatic Cup at KRAI, Redlands Municipal Airport in Southern California. That is where I met the owner of the first Cessna 172 to be sold off the production line in 1955. We also are so very honored to have had the opportunity to help reconnect one of our listeners with one of our favorite guests, a Squawk Ident. We will discuss that and the 2021 Reno Air Races. They just wrapped up the STIHL National Championship Air Races on the 19th of September, and we are so excited to hear that the event was a success. We are also excited to hear some audio feedback from our very own Captain Roger, as he highlights some of the moments from his flying from across the Atlantic. All this and more on board Flight 90 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Before we begin, let us take a moment to thank Captain Elmore, Captain Evans, Captain Barber, Captain Felish, Captain Letourneau, and Captain Lindner for joining us on Flight 90, Remembering 9-11. Flight 90 was a production of very special significance for me. The cover art I produced for Flight 90, for those that noticed, is an old photo of me when I was about four years old. It was a common photo opportunity to take in 1978, with the Twin Towers standing proudly behind me, as I and my family rode a ferry across the Hudson while on an outing to Liberty Island to tour Our Lady Liberty. Now, if you hadn't had the opportunity to see the cover art, you can do so either by listening to some of the Podcast 2.0 players, Spotify, if you listen on there, you can see the cover art for each episode, or you can go right to our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you can click on cover art and you can see all 90 of the cover arts that I have produced for each episode. Now, this episode was very special to me. I know it was a bit longer than usual, and I thank you for listening to all the captains that took the time to share their 9-11 experiences with us. Thanks again, gentlemen. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 90 is officially underway. While assisting at the controls of today's flight is the superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. 
the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his personal Bikram Yoga studio, where the air con is still on the fritz, from somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming our very own Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Holy smokes, man. I'm sweating like a dog. I'm at a Chinese restaurant right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that bad. We're uh, fortunate enough to have two AC units at this on my at my house, and the one smaller one that uh, conditions the upstairs rooms went on the fritz. Ah. So uh, had to close all the doors down up there, move the kids downstairs, and, um, you know, it's nice and cool down here, but we're still waiting on our... AC to be fixed. Apparently, there's some parts that they had to order. It's taken a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah. hopefully they'll be done here pretty soon. Yeah. You know, I, I can only imagine. I only have the one unit. My house is a little bit smaller and uh, single story. So the <laughs> one unit uh, works great, and it's a new unit, so there's no reason for it to go out. Nice. But if it did... You know, we're still in the 90s oh. here, and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yesterday, was, yesterday was 100 degrees and humid. Oh. Uh, fortunately... Last night there was a cold front that moved in, and it's pretty much the first one of the uh, of the season. So the temperatures dropped down to about I think it's about eighty two degrees or so right oh, now. Bad. So it's nice and pleasant, and which means it's going to get nice and cool at night. Which uh, you know we could open up some of the windows upstairs and start to vent some of that that hot air out, and the kids will be able to move back into their little you know uh, little uh, caveman holes up there and, and hibernate. So uh, they'll be happy to do that. Yeah, and that's why you're not in your normal podcast studio setting. Is uh, it's all upstairs? That's right. That's <laughs> that's right. Yeah, my little um, pod podcast studios upstairs, and uh, yeah, I went to get my equipment, and man, it it's got to be at least ninety five, ninety eight degrees up there. It kind of feels like uh, you know those warm cabins, you know, when the air conditioners trying to cool their cabin down in the summertime and it's just not working and you're up there and you're like, Oh man, yeah. it's so hot. That's exactly what it's it felt like Heavy to breathe. To and yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, come on, hurry up. Let's board. Let's get them out of here. You know, you're like, no, no, let's not create any, uh, or, you know, medical emergencies for right now. <laughs> right. Right. They get on, they start sweating and they get cranky. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Enough of that. Bad. No yeah. more. Yeah. So, you know, and Kyle, no Kyle uh, was unable to join us today. Uh, our thoughts are with yep. him. Um, Captain Roger also could not join us. He just sent us a photo of what he's looking at. Happens to be the Coliseum yeah. in Rome. And, Dude, know, that is magnificent, isn't it? Watching Gladiator great movies. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Good one. We're going to hear all about Captain Rogers' adventures in uh, Italy and across the uh, the Atlantic here a little bit later in the show. He's been very good to uh, send us some some audio and video. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear that. of where neat. he's been. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been up to? Have you been flying at all since our last show? <laughs> no, man. Actually, it's been great. Um, I was able to do some creative uh, scheduling on my own and re uh, move around some trips and uh, basically, I've had about close to two weeks off. I think uh, I have to go back to work tomorrow, but tomorrow would be uh, two weeks to the day that I um, was last at work. So um, pretty much since the uh, September 11th um, uh, show that we did, um, I have been off work and enjoying it. You know, the last few days of summer, had a couple of boat days um, 
in there with the family. Um, also was able to take out my, my buddy's fishing boat oh. and uh, take that around the patch and try to catch some fish. Unfortunately, didn't catch anything, but it's always fun to try. Um, had some um, out-of-town visitors come in. We were able to enter- entertain them and show them around. Took them down to the Fort Worth Stockyards, which oh, are yeah. uh, pretty entertaining, especially if you're not from in, from around here. So got to you know sit on a Longhorn bull and you know get some cool uh, Texas uh, style trinkets and and stuff like that. Some some um, uh, smoke uh, marinades and 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 rubs for you know barbecue and um, yeah, just really enjoyed the last two weeks. I'm getting ready to get back in the saddle and, uh, so to speak, get back to work and, uh, I'll be off tomorrow for about six days in a row. So, um, kind of pay for it <laughs> yeah. for all the time off to, uh, starting tomorrow. But I guess, um, that's what you kind of have to do when you're junior like us and, you know, you gotta make, create your own vacations and yeah. You know, and and a lot of listeners may not really understand, um, so when you get to a Part 121 airline, most of the time, uh, the, the pilots have methods to change their schedules around. Uh, they right. can either trade trips, they can drop trips, although right now that's becoming increasingly more difficult because of the lack of staffing that has been happening right. with this increase of flying. <laughs> um, so there, there are methods. You can trade for trips that are currently open. So if your trip uh, is something that you want to trade away, you can trade it for a trip that's maybe later in the month or earlier in the month. So there is a lot of flexibility once you're at a, uh, an airline uh, for most people. Now, yep. the, the airline, we've always said that it's like three jobs. It's the job yes. you get when you first get hired and you're on reserve. Now, how long you're on reserve is dependent upon time and place and airline and, and just luck of the draw sometimes. Um, Definitely. On reserve, you have your reserve days. For some carriers, you can actually look to see where you sit on that reserve list. For others, you cannot. Um, but when you can, you can, can get an idea of, okay, well, I've got 10 people beneath me that are legal to go fly that will get called before me. and. Uh, you know, something major will have to happen before they call me. So I'm pretty much going to be off today. Right. Or yeah. uh, you'll know that you're the next one to be called. So you're already getting your bag ready. And when your phone rings, you're ready to walk out the door. Yep. That's one aspect of the job. And then there's the, the aspect where you're junior line holder and then senior line holder is the third. Now, a junior line holder, yep. they have pretty much, they pick, the flying that they want to do and they don't normally get that they get whatever they can hold by their seniority for the month and that means you're going to have to move some things around if you have appointments to make or events to go to or family outings or you know soccer uh, events to go with your kids or in your case volleyball events Uh, so you have to trade your trips around the best you can you get really good at trip trading and calling up people around your seniority that you might know and go, Hey, you, will you fly this trip for me and I'll fly that trip for you. And, and you can do some pilot yeah. to pilot trades. So there's a lot of flexibility there. And then of course, the third, you're a senior line holder. You just bid whatever you want for the month. And if you don't want to fly it, you can drop it most of the time and just stay <laughs> home. <laughs> um, and there are other games to play yeah. as well. Like we were talking about a few weeks ago, you and I were talking about picking up premium pay and uh, that's when the company right. doesn't have enough 
reserves or they want to conserve their reserves. So what they end up doing is uh, they, they put the trips out on premium, which is paid either time and a half, uh, or as we learned at some carriers, uh, super critical coverage, <laughs> 200% pay <laughs> <Yeah>. plus. <laughs> uh, and, and now I'm yep. hearing 300% pay. Uh, so yep. desperate times call for opportunities to make desperate money. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, you, you were able to trade your flying around um, and, mm-hmm. and get two weeks off in which you had filled up the end of your summer with, with your family events. And I did right. pretty much the same thing. Um, producing did that uh, episode 90 was a huge thing. Uh, it was, took a lot of time. Uh, both while I was out on layovers and at home, it took a lot of time, um, yeah. and it was truly a pleasure for me to produce. But I did the same thing. You did it. You did a really good job on that. You, I listened to it um, actually while I was cutting the yard the other day, and uh, yeah, I got to give you all the compliments, man. That was a really well put together show, and the videos were awesome too. Oh, thank yeah, you. So good job. Yeah, with the YouTube stuff, yeah. actually did pretty well. Um, I'm surprised. I yeah. know it was a long episode. I apologize for that. Um, I actually was talking with all you you guys about should I just do six mini ep- episodes and <laughs> thirty minutes a pop? Uh, <laughs> but then that would have been even more work. Uh, so we just yeah. I mean, I think we I think it came out okay. You know, the runtime of three hours was a bit long, but um, some of those interviews were. They're just going to stick with me forever. They're just so yeah. The, the interviews are what made it captivating. You know, three hours is long, but when you start listening to those kind of stories and stuff, I mean, you get in, you you get attached to the uh, to the story, and you forget about time there for a little while. So you know, by the end of the, th- the three hours, you don't even know it was three hours. So yeah, um, I wouldn't worry too much about the the length of it. I mean, obviously, the goal isn't to make three hour shows, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just uh, you know, if the story is is uh, is good enough and and you know it keeps people captivated, then you're you're not going to have to worry about the length of the show. Yeah. So at, yeah. at least that's what I believe. Yeah, and I happen yeah. to, to really enjoy. I put up the the video portions of those, just the interviews, up on YouTube, and you know, six captains giving six interviews, and there are six videos that I would posted on YouTube, and they've they've done pretty well, and. Um, I've watched yeah. a few over and over again because they were really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you haven't checked yeah. it out, I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel at uh, the Squawk Ident Podcast here. That's at Squawk Ident Podcast. You can find it there. Well, my week, uh, as I mentioned, I moved things around. I, too, had mm-hmm. a little bit of an adventure. Um, actually, back before we recorded the 9-11 show, I was able to uh, go and attend the inaugural Redlands Municipal Airport's IAC Acrobatic Cup. Now, it's at Kilo Romeo Alpha, India. If you're able to check that little airport out, I highly recommend it. It's in Southern California. Um, And it was a pretty cool deal. Uh, I took a little fold-out chair. I didn't bring any podcasting equipment with me, which I regretted afterwards. I just had my cell phone. (laughs) And... uh, Oh my God. It was, it was amazing to see a small airport. You can walk right out on the ramp and there's, it was really well organized. Uh, A lot of people out there and their families and the acrobatic box was literally right north of the field. So you could sit there in a covered patio area with picnic tables and just watch. Yeah. Cool. It's the, uh, that's awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for the website that talks a little bit about the Redlands Acrobatic Cup. 
It's uh, or the aerobatic cup, depending on on who you're talking mm-hmm. to. So I'm so far removed from general aviation that the stuff like this is so far off my radar. I don't even know what's happening. But you know this this would be really cool to go watch. I'm sure you had a great time. I'm I'm uh I'm gonna try to go to the local air show over here. It's on October 23rd at Fort Worth Alliance Air Show. Usually they have the uh, either the Blue Angels or the Thunderbird, Thunderbirds in town. So um, I can't wait to go see that. I haven't seen an air show in probably 10 years. So I couldn't imagine how much fun you had here. Yeah, it was a definitely a, a wonderful experience. Uh, chapter 26 of the IAC, International Aerobatic Club, uh, is mm-hmm. doing, was doing this uh, contest at Redlands. On the eastern edge of the LA basin, it's located 60 miles northeast of the Los Angeles area and 45 miles west of Palm Springs. It's tucked up against the picturesque San Bernardino Mountains, and Redlands has long been a base of aerobatic operations, and the airport management are, were very excited uh, to have the, the event hosted there. Um, I met some amazing people, and what I really was impressed with was the pilots would sit in front of their airplanes out there on the ramp and you could see them walking a line and with their arms spread out and they would walk the line and they would do these twists and turns with their hands and they were basically going through their entire routine in their mind yeah standing in front of their airplane minutes before they jumped in and they had to perform they would go throughout this whole routine and everyone was very respectful Mm -hmm. and they saw that okay he's going through or she's going through her routine and okay just don't bother them because they're they're reviewing it and then a while after that they would get in their airplane and start it up and go out take off and do their do their performance in the in the box um i was able to that's pretty interesting yeah i was able to bring like a one of these like a aftermarket zoom lenses you can put on your camera with a clip on your on your cell phone mm-hmm. camera <laughs> and yeah, yeah it was no it was no substitute to the real deal with people that had professional uh, zoom lenses and stuff but i was able to capture a couple things nothing quality so i couldn't really post anything about it but uh definitely was fun and while i was sitting there i made a new friend a gentleman came up to me oh, yeah. started talking to me and his name was Tony also. And uh, we started oh, talking cool. about this and that. And he uh, was telling me, you know, what he does. And, and he's a, an AI, an, an airplane mm-hmm. inspector there. Uh, so he, he's based out of Hemet, but he was up there with friends and family uh, to watch the air show. And we start talking. He goes, yeah, I flew my airplane up here. I own the very first Cessna 172. Wow. And I was, I was, my really? eyes got big and I said, what? <laughs> really? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll show it to you later. Huh. I was like, okay. Oh, uh, cool. I actually got my tripod out and my little you know, cell phone holder on there and tried to record a quick interview of, of Tony in front of his airplane. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you record an, uh, a video at an air show, at the approach end of a runway, <laughs> the audio kind of gets drowned it out. <laughs> it, well, it, it was clipping so bad that unfortunately oh. I, I couldn't really. I tried editing it and and fixing it, but I just couldn't couldn't use it. Fit, huh? Couldn't use it. Um, the first like oh, couple shucks. minutes were great, but then after that, all the 
the wind noise and the and the other airplanes, it just it didn't even just drown it out. It clipped it. So I just couldn't use oh. it. But what All I right. did find out is that uh, Tony Davis owns uh, the 172, the first 172 to come off the production line that was for sale. So the, the serial number 000 was the one that was the demo aircraft. And the serial number mm-hmm. 01 is the one that he ended up buying and purchasing and owns to this day. Came off the production line in wow. 1955. Uh, wow. It has yeah, about 4,000 hours on it, and it is a beautiful Cessna 172. I have some photos. Um, I'll put them on the website uh, for those that would like to take a look at this. It's a uh, 1955 Cessna 172, fixed-wing, single-engine, four-seat, one-engine, reciprocating. has a Continental <laughs> motor, the 0300 SER. And uh, he uses this airplane every day. He travels around really? the South Valley and, and Southern California and to do inspections on aircraft. He has contracts with flight schools around Los Angeles and beyond. And talk about a cute little airplane. I mean, the traditional six-pack instruments, steam gauges, all still there. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he's a, a maintenance inspector, so... It was pristine. November five zero zero one Alpha, and I'll put a link in the show notes. uh, Looking at the pictures on here, it it looks really nice. I mean, obviously it's well kept. And uh, yeah, wow! I can't believe that's the first one. Yeah, still flying around. Look at that. Cool. You know, it just goes to show you that you know if you keep good care of an airplane. It will take care of you for a long time. Yep. It's the first airplane that Cessna sold, first 172 that they sold. Um, Dennis Osmond, who lives in Ohio, has the first one that they built. That serial number is 28000. This is 28001. It's not that bad. It was being used for the demo flights. This one was on its delivery flight to the first customer to buy a 172. And it's got a little... 4,000 hours. There's on the it. clipping here. And I use it for my work truck, quite literally. I'm an IA, so I do a lot of maintenance on aircraft all over the Southland area of Southern California. And uh, it flies reliably every day. Every day. I literally fly it almost every day. And it just it's a great airplane. My wife and I have a lot of fun going out camping in it. Um, and it's, it's just proven to be a real, real economical airplane to fly around in. And it's reasonably decent cruise for the early model airplanes. Had a little bit more speed than the later model airplanes. And this one's got a stole kit on it, so it makes it easy to get in and out of shorter fields, too. Oh, very nice. So, um, other than that, it's a stock 172. It's about as stock as it can get. Yeah, and it's amazing that you have it in such pristine condition. So. Fairly decent. Yeah, and what year did it come off the production line? It came off the production line in October of 1955. 1955. Actually, September, October. Yeah, it came off in September, and it was sold in October. And how did you acquire the aircraft? Um, I had a a customer that had the airplane. He was a student pilot. He uh, asked me to install some shoulder belts on it, and then about a month later, he asked me to fly it out to Arizona, and he... uh, I told him, yeah, we'd fly it out there. So we flew it out there. We were about 60 miles short of Valier Airport, which is right between uh, Grand Canyon Airport and Williams. And uh, we were about 60 miles out and watching the thunderstorms building up out there. 
and he says, I don't have a permanent hangar out here. Would you be interested in buying the airplane? And I'm like, oh, yes. So um, I told him, I said, give me a month to sell my 150, and I'll buy it from you. And here it sits now. So it's paid for oh. and, and just uh, a lot of fun. And yeah, part and, of uh, uh, your... Your job too is to, to fly around all over Southern California right. and do repairs, and this repairs is actually your your main mode of transportation. Main motor, I call it my car or my truck <laughs> most of the time. But um. yeah, sure so will. I just want to say thank you to uh, Mr. Tony Davis for taking that time with me to explain how his airplane, who he's he's named Uno, because it's the first one. Uh, and <laughs> it was so, he was so proud of it. You know, we walked around it. I took a, a lot of photos and, and it was just such an honor to uh, learn a little bit about him and his aircraft. And I would never have met him if I didn't get a little, I think it was a, an advertising or something on social media about the, the inaugural aerobatic cup that was happening yeah. in Redlands. And I was like, Hey, if I'm off that day, I'm going to go. And sure enough, I just got up cool. that morning, grabbed a cup of coffee and went out there. And I'm so glad I did. That's awesome, dude. Nice job. Thank you. We're also so very honored to have had the opportunity to reconnect one of our listeners with one of our favorite guests here at Squawk Ident. Recently, I received an email, and you know, I get these listener feedbacks occasionally. I would love to have them more often, so if you're out there listening to the show mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, I've been meaning to, but just send me an email. Just do it. Go to aviatortony.com and contact us. You can even send us audio. Uh, you can send us through SpeakPipe. The, the, there's a link there. Or the, my favorite way to do it is just use the voice recorder on your iPhone. Record uh, something. Listen to it if you like it. Sounds good. Just email it to me. Just email me the file. And uh, we'll gladly listen to your feedback and play it on the air. This feedback uh, said, hey, Aviator Tony. I have been listening to your podcast for the past week and a half, and it's a first true podcast of insight to the airline world. Thank you for putting this together for all of us who are trying to make it in the industry. I am currently a CFI at a flight school out of Kilo Romeo Alpha Lima, Riverside, California. He's right down the street. I'm close to 1,300 hours and have had an interview scheduled for Thursday. This was back on 9-2 with Airshare as an SIC on a Phenom 100-300. I would also love to take the time to take you up in a 172 again and have you in the GA world back in SoCal. Hey, I would love that opportunity, and we'll talk after the show. (laughs) I just got (laughs) to episode 73, he says, and heard about the captain on the episode. My father flew with Kevin back on the 737. And he was at Legacy before he retired in 2013. Wow, wow. small world, right? I've yeah, tried over totally. the years to get in touch with him to no avail. Could you pass my information on to him as I would love to get in touch with him again? Well, I've got to say, I immediately reached out to Kevin, sent him uh, the information, and Kevin was able to get in touch with Alex Daigle. Cool. Now, Alex, thank you so much for sending us the feedback, for reaching out. Um, I'm so happy that you and your father were able to connect with Captain Elmore. He is a fantastic individual. And Alex, I look forward to hearing about your journey. And, you know, you've got 1,300 hours, real close to that uh, 1,500-hour minimum for the ATP. Um, And now with the potential for the Phenom time, I would like to hear if uh, 
how the interview went. And, you know, if you're able to land that position, that that's fantastic. So Alex, we wish you luck. Yeah. Wish you all the best, Alex. Good luck. Now, after reconnecting, um, with Alex, with Captain Elmore, I just felt so honored, really. It is, there's no better word for it, uh, that we were able to do that. And, you know, that's one of the great things about this community uh, in aviation, that here we are on a pretty regular podcast talking about, the, you know, our journeys and what mm-hmm. to expect out of here on the yeah. line. And, and we're able to connect people that just happen to be listening to our show. Come on, it's a small, it's a, small world. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I, I, uh, I, my, some of my friends have started listening to the podcast. My pilot friends, and um, you know, they're they're like, "Wow, it's pretty good, man." And I actually uh, know that guy that you were talking about. I'm like, "Oh, really? Oh, cool." You know. So yeah, you're right. It's a small world, and you know, we all share some similar stories and experiences, and it's pretty fun to reconnect and and share all that stuff with each other. Definitely. So while I was at the Redlands, the Acrobatic Cup, I was able to, with my new friend, Tony, walk out to this gas pumps and we saw a heavily modified Lancer Legacy that was heading to the 2021 Reno Air Races. So they've just wrapped up the STIHL National Championship Air Races in Reno uh, back here on the 19th of September. uh, And we're excited to hear that the event was a success. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about this Lancer legacy that I saw. Owner Carl Grove took about three years to build this GA1 Super Legacy, combined with a team of carefully selected professionals who share the like-minded mentality that GA needs. Together with Andrew Higgs, who has spent most of his career developing Formula One engine technologies, John Walker, who is the San Diego native and owner of a successful AV company, AV Consulting. Uh, they, he recently put together and completed an amazing Vans RV10 build. John's experience in electrical systems and GA build techniques was an immense help to the project. And also Robert Paisley. Uh, he's the founder of Fly EFII to promote the use of modern electronic engine controls on light aircraft engines. Robert is a degreed electrical engineer, a licensed FAA airframe and power plant mechanic, and an experienced private pilot. This team put together this heavily modified, water-cooled Lancer Legacy, and they were on their way to the Reno Air Races. They were telling me that they were going to get close to 400 miles per hour plus Oh my! in this, this aircraft that's a, a GA Ooh. aircraft. Crap. It, you should see, and I'm going to post some of these photos on our website. Um, mm-hmm. You should see the interior of this thing. It was like a fighter jet cockpit. Really? I mean, water-cooled. Oh. He had controls, electronic controls for everything, all glass. It was amazing. Wow. It amazing, was an amazing huh? airplane. Yeah. And I've seen those planes before. I mean, when back when you and I were flight instructing, every now and then you'd see a, a Lance Air come into the pattern, and, you know, they'd come tearing it up and. You know, I think they had to still be below 200 knots in the pattern, but, you know, they would just come in and just scream over, you know, do the overhead and do the scream and breakout maneuver, come in and land and, you know, they taxi up to the uh, gas pumps, which were <laughs> right by our FBO there. And they just look so fast, just standing still, yeah. you know, and, um, 
you know, I know these things are pressurized and they can go up into the flight levels. And, um, you know, I, I, I could only imagine, though, just a two-place, you know, home-built going, you know, in the high mock numbers. Yeah, pretty yeah. much that's what it's going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's that's insane. I mean, oh, my God. Uh, the you know the the engine the carbon fiber you know the technology has just come so far build techniques that these guys are using nowadays that um you know make the plane withstand the uh the elements out there at those speeds and altitudes and temperatures and pressures so wow crazy yeah. crazy yeah it was definitely uh a, a real treat to see that aircraft up close uh, i wonder how he did at reno you know, I was looking at the race results um, and the recaps, and I didn't see. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that he had the entry there, but I didn't. I didn't see any results findings. I don't know if he flew or not. But I will put a link in the yeah. show notes to the Reno Air Races. Maybe a listener can that went there. I know we've had a few of our friends from the show that were there at the air races. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I've just uh, like we mentioned earlier, I've been out doing the family yeah. last summer trip that we could finally get. Um, so I wasn't able to, to connect with them, but, uh, yeah, like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, it'll be cool. real fun to hear. Well, yeah. after that, um, uh, event, we had the show and we had the, the nine 11 thing that, I mean, this episode was very, very dear to me. Um, and it, it did take me about a week to produce, uh, normally mm-hmm. a podcast will take a day to record, uh, a couple hours. Um, to do the actual recording and then another day to, to do the post-production edit and post and upload everything. And so normally it's a day and a half production and this one literally took like seven days. Um, (laughs) so, and I'm very, very honored that, uh, we were able to do that together. So thank you also for being there. I was uh, just happy to be part of it. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking to Roger and he wanted to be there for that show as well, but he was planning an extremely difficult flight plan to take the owners of his, his jet, uh, to Europe on this whirlwind trip. And I said, well, Roger, I understand you're busy, but do me a favor and send me some feedback from wherever you are. If you have that opportunity. And he did. And uh, we have a couple uh, cool little videos with audio that he sent, and I'm going to go ahead and share them with you all right now. Awesome. Well, guys, I just wanted to say good morning and take a little bit of a chance to say hi from Croatia. I'm currently in Zadar, Croatia, which is on the Adriatic coast, west coast of of the country of Croatia. And I'm sorry that I've, I've missed the last couple of podcasts. I have listened to a little bit of some of them and they sounded great. Um, putting all this together definitely was, uh, was quite the experience. Uh, now that I've been here a couple days, I just thought I'd come outside. Uh, the place that we were staying is actually, it's pretty nice. There's a lot of kids here. It's a, uh, definitely a, a tourist attraction. Um, the place we are at is a lot of families. It's got also it looks like a lot of retired, um, older couples that come here. There's not a lot of big hotels like we would know them in um, in the city of Zadar, at least. 
This is probably the biggest one and maybe the nicest one. There's a lot more smaller, like four to 20 room hotels, but we decided to stay here and it's definitely a, a pretty nice place. It's all inclusive, really just with, with buffets for the food, but um, the location really can't be beat. And that nice swimming pool water slide. There's actually a couple swimming pools. One of the pools is half inside, half outside. Big infinity pool outside. And then you can actually go right out here onto the beach as well. Weather, some, oh, it's kind of a lot like Southern California, except with a little bit more, actually quite a bit more rain. The first few days that we were here, we're, we're cloudless sunny skies and actually last night we had some thunderstorms with rain forecast for the whole day today anyway in another couple days we're going to be heading back off to florence italy for a week we might take a little bit of time to head down to rome as i think is also our plan and i'll try to do another quick video and a shout out to to you guys from there and, and then headed back home and uh on the 27th of September and hopefully we'll be able to meet back up after that but definitely a lot of um, of logistics and planning to put put the international stuff especially really the Europe stuff it's it's definitely much more involved than than just doing your Canada Mexico Caribbean so had my hands full for the last month or so just trying to put all this together hope you guys are all doing well and i will catch you later at our next short visit <laughs> so kind of I mean, sounds like he's in some you know u.s city where you know they have the landscape and guys coming in to, to cut the yard but uh wow what a beautiful place that is yeah you know that's amazing the video was fantastic i mean i was looking at croatia resort yeah. living in the the sea was just flat yeah it's it makes me want to go there but it's funny because there was not one soul no. out there just the garden i don't know if it was the time of day <laughs> or yeah you know probably early in the morning but still it was i mean it was completely empty yeah, yeah. What's I mean, not even not even a grown kid was going down that big water slide. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it, it looked like it was like oh, dark thirty in the morning. It was pretty early. The sun had just come yeah. up. You know, it was, everybody yeah. was probably still asleep from partying the night before. But who knows how busy yeah. it was? We'll, we, we look forward to hearing all about <laughs> Roger's adventure. I mean, there's a show right there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. And we'll have more from Captain Roger right after the break. But thank you so much, Roger, uh, for sending that. And then today or last night, was it? Uh, we received an update from Captain Roger. He has made it out to right. Italy. He was in Florence uh, yesterday, a day before. Uh, mm -hmm. Sent us another video, which I'll I'll share here in just a moment. And now this, what, an hour ago, he was sending mm -hmm. us pictures from the Colosseum. 
the he's Colosseum, walking yeah. the steps that uh, Julius Caesar once took. <laughs> yeah, or some gladiator. <laughs> oh, for sure, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, Roger, he loves those gladiator movies. <laughs> but that oh, was yeah. that was the uh, the Croatia uh, feedback, and now he was able to send us a little something from Florence. And I'm going to go ahead and share that with you right here. Well, good morning, guys. It's Captain Roger again. Another short video on the road, this time from Florence, Italy, where I'm actually really close to our hotel. Standing next to one of the more famous sites in the, the city, the Cathedral of Florence, or Cattedrale di Santa Maria di Firenze, which I think might probably be the extent of my Italian. <laughs> the uh, Cathedral of the St. Mary of the Flower. Captain Tony might be able to uh, go more into that than, than I would know. It's a huge cathedral here. Like I said, right by our hotel, so I just kind of thought I'd start here with my brief update. We got here just a couple days ago. Um, the flight itself is fairly straightforward, except something we don't really deal with so much in the States is some slot, some airspace slot issues and, and airport landing slots. We actually had to move our departure time by two hours in order to accommodate for some landing slot issues here in Florence was a little but we started having to move it two hours later and then because of for passenger convenience we actually i negotiated with the airport and got it two hours early but i said something we don't really deal with in the states very often because our we have so many more airports but here um kind of dealt with it a little bit in the dar too in terms of having to depart on time and at a specific time as well um, for, for slots and availability for takeoffs and landings. Kind of came around the, the corner of the cathedral here, and this is the dome, huge dome on top of, uh, on the backside of the cathedral, actually. Got some cars driving through. Um, That's another uh, quite impressive feat of engineering back in the 1400s, as I recall. But anyway, pretty magnificent structure that they built and be standing in front of it or at the bottom of this thing that's over 300 feet tall. It's pretty incredible. But anyway, another thing that um, I had the not-so-pleasure, I never really think about it, but something else that kind of dealt with in the Part 91 world that you guys at the airlines don't really need to is baggage loading. Um, we had, we got eight, eight passengers on this trip and obviously we flew a rather, rather long way. And so we've got a fair amount of baggage and I threw my back out loading, <laughs> loading the bags on, uh, on our departure on Sunday. And so it's been, yesterday was pretty rough, especially sleeping two nights ago. Fortunately, last night, um, was a little bit better, but definitely wrenched my back, pulled a muscle and it's, uh, yeah, something you guys don't need to deal with, and I don't think about it too often, but but every once in a while, um, 
yeah, I, was, I had a heavy bag and turned, was in the baggage compartment and rotated to, to try and stow it away and definitely felt it pull. So that's been a little bit uncomfortable to deal with. <laughs> something you don't really think about, but in the 91 world where you do everything for yourself, something to be uh, aware of. So I think that's probably about the extent of my update for today. Uh, we're gonna be headed down by rail, by train, later this afternoon down to Rome. And if I get the chance, I'll try and give a quick update from there as well. Until then, I hope you guys are all well. Take care and fly safe. Roger's breaking his back over there. Oh my God, I feel bad for him. I can only imagine. <laughs> that's, that's gotta be an uncomfortable thing to be all the way over there. Uh, you know, with so many things to do and see and just have a bad back. So yeah. hope you feel better, Roger. Take lots of Advil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to the uh, go to the local pharmacia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then stop at the liquor store on the way back and get yourself something yeah. to, <laughs> to help ease the pain. <laughs> Although uh, I can tell you that our, our friend Kelly would probably uh, not agree with taking uh, medication and alcohol at the same time. <laughs> no, no, definitely, uh, definitely not before a flight either. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Roger, a couple days, you know, I hope, I hope your back feels better uh, before your flight home. Cause that would be pretty painful to yeah. sit in an airplane for hours and hours um, on your way back and, and not have your back cooperating. So I hope you feel better. Thank you so much for the feedback. Um, I will post yeah. the, the, the videos on YouTube. Uh, that was a really cool thing to see. Um, yeah. And so you were, you were in Florence. We talked about, uh, about that, uh, but when you were heading out there, um, you were at the Cattedrale di Santa Maria del Fiore, uh, St. Mary uh, of the Flower. Um, and one of Florence's masterpieces, uh, this was the name it was formerly called. Now it's called just the Florence Cathedral. And it was begun in the year 1296 in the Gothic style to a design of Arnolfo di Cambio. Cambio. That's like change. Yeah. Or so, in it. It's I don't the know what the other word. Yeah. Cool. It was begun in 1296 in the Gothic style to a design of Anorfo di Cambio and was structurally completed by 1436 with a dome engineered by Filippo Brunelleschi. I hope I'm saying that right. Sounds the, like a soccer player. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> the exterior <laughs> of the basilica is faced with a polychrome marble uh, panels in various shades of green and pink bordered by white and has an elaborate 19th century Gothic revival facade that was done by Emilio di Fabris. The cathedral complex is in Piazza del Duomo, includes the baptistry and Giotto's Campanile. The three buildings are part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, uh, covering the historic center of Florence, and are a major tourist attraction of Tuscany. The, the Basilica is one of Italy's largest churches, and until the development of new structural materials in the modern era, the dome was the largest in the world. It remains the largest brick dome ever constructed. The cathedral is the mother church of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Florence, whose archbishop is Giuseppe 
Bittori. Wow. So this is off of uh, Wikipedia. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, that's where our our friend Roger was checking <laughs> out checking out the sites. Yeah, that's something I. That's a bucket list for me. That's something I'd like to do. Um, go travel over there and see some of that stuff. You know, the the thing that intrigues me is not only how you know old those buildings are, and obviously how well maintained they are, but and and well constructed. But the the uh, the detail in the um, architecture is just amazing. Like there's no just plain you know flat wall or no you know, just normal 90 degree corner. Everything has some kind of detail that is, uh, that is, you know, engineered into the, uh, to the design that is just so amazing. Like the, you know, this just a, a basic, you know, square window is, has so much detail on the, the frames and the borders and the, ah, uh, it, it's cool to see. Yeah. There are really pieces cool of art. See. Architecture was art. Yeah. It was an art form. Um, and in many ways, uh, depending on who you speak with, still is to this day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. especially in Europe, and especially in Italy, uh, you know, stru- using marble and structures yeah. and building. I mean, the Romans were famous for the technology in which they used to build roads, roads that yeah. could support the weight of carriages being pulled by a dozen horses. I mean, that's a lot of weight and cattle to be on a road and they learned how to use gravel and and lime and all different types of rock as an underlayment to the road at, at a time yeah. really we're talking uh, 2000 years ago <laughs> so yeah. uh very ahead of their time um they are also known for their aqueducts using oh yeah ways to transport water to grow all the food um, through the cities. Right. So, yeah, definitely Rome yeah. is a fantastic place to visit and to to yeah. go and explore. Cool. If you can have a guided tour of anywhere in Italy, it's well worth it. Um, I've never been able to do the guided tour. Every time I went, it was always to stay with family out in the middle of the countryside. Or, or if we did do a, kind of a walking tour with my cousins, it was always very informative and fantastic, but it was all about being with family and my cousins and, and sharing those yeah. moments. So you never really got to see or experience the uh, the true yeah history or or, or yeah you know you know it's there. You just yeah that's yeah, kind of how been I am to when see I go the back, places visit my family right yeah exactly. You spend yeah. time. It wasn't a, yeah. I grew up in Newport, Rhode Island, and and in the uh, the town is known for the mansions there, the Vanderbilt mansions, um, and so. These things are amazing, and actually, they have a lot of European influence on the uh, the design of these mansions. I mean, they, when you go through the tour, they talk about some of the designers being from Italy and France and stuff like that, and it's really, really amazing to see. But uh, the point of my comment was is that you know it wasn't until I moved away, spent a few t- you know a few years away until you know I go back and and appreciate it and like well now it's time to go visit these places even though I've been lived there for you know 10 to 15 years I've never seen them until hey. I moved away and came back and then you're like oh yeah this is awesome why don't I come and see this you know sooner yeah yeah <laughs> you know and Roger so. mentioned something that I wanted to touch base on because a lot of the listeners may not um, have ever heard it before and he said it was interesting because when he was going into Italy, 
he had to deal with something called slot times. Now, that's something we here in the U.S. don't hear much of. Uh, We have uh, ATC flow management that will give us a ground delay sometimes uh, to get into an airport that's congested. And you'll have flow control. Uh, We hear like flow or edicts, estimated departure clearance times. Mm -hmm. But we don't often hear slot times. And that's something that you do hear quite a bit in Europe. Now, I I took a look at what this was. And the FAA defines it uh, in terms of slot administration or slot definition. And according to the FAA, in the context of an airport coordination, a slot is an authorized to either take off or land at a particular airport on a particular day during a specific time period. This authorization is for a planned aircraft operation and is distinct from air traffic control clearances or similar authorizations. Slots, or limits on the planned aircraft operation, are a tool used in the United States and around the world to manage air traffic at extremely busy airports and to prevent repeated delays that result from too many flights trying to take off or land at the same time. Around the world, airports are designated at levels indicating their degree of congestion. Level 1 airports have sufficient have sufficient capacity to meet the demand. Level 2 airports may have some periods when demand approaches one or more capacity limits, but a voluntary schedule facilitation process prevents systemic delays. Level 3 airports have demand for airport infrastructure that significantly exceeds the airport's capability or capacity during the relevant periods and without controls would have unacceptable systemic delays. Level 3 airports are under slot control and require Mm -hmm. advanced approval to operate during slot-controlled hours. Now, Roger mentioned that he had like a two-hour delay because of slot time. So before he could take off from wherever he was, and we'll be really looking forward to hearing about this on his return on the show uh, when he gets back, and... They told him, well, you have a slot time, so you have to arrive at a certain time, so we're going to delay your flight two hours from when you intended to take off, so that you can arrive at your destination exactly during your window. Mm -hmm. So that's what a slot time is. Um, Really interesting. Yeah, it is. And and, uh, to bring that across the, uh, the pond, so to speak, to the United States, you know, the airport's in the New York and uh, Washington area are airports that are heavily slotted airports. So, um, and, and those can be quite profitable. I think the airlines actually buy the slots somehow. I mean, obviously I don't know all the details of the business end of that, but um, you know, these slots are very valuable to the airlines. And, and, you know, if you, to build a network in those regions, you know, you want to have certain slot times so that you can connect your passengers in inbound and outbound from those airports. And um, that's right now um, one of the um, highly contentious um, issues going on between two airlines, uh, one of them being Legacy um, in, in the New York area and Washington area where they joined alliance with another airline to um, to bring more passengers uh, on our airplanes and as as well as their airplanes, and um, 
right now, I guess it's going to be going to court. <laughs> I don't know the, all the details about it, but just to give you an idea, you know, that that happens in, in the United States also. So anyway, yeah, I thought I'd yep. bring some of that to light too. Yeah. You know? And, and Juan uh, Sosa, who we've had on the show, yeah. we're watching you. We're watching you <laughs> over there at uh, Jet Azul. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that is Azul, a pretty right. uh, contentious point, as you mentioned. Um, and yeah. when you have a congested area, you know, JFK, LaGuardia, uh, New Jersey, Newark, mm-hmm. uh, even DCA, Washington, Reagan, Reagan. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, th- those are airports that are growing and they just yeah. do the airspace, the infrastructure just isn't there. We've been talking about an air traffic control system in the United States that is overloaded using 1970s technologies. Um, and they need to both improve the technology modernize it which there are millions if not billions of dollars going into that system as we speak to improve the technology we are starting to see a lot of that in the industry with air traffic control Uh, a lot of it has to do with gps based um, navigation equipment that really helps them out and also now with the mandate the mandated uh, adsb uh, procedures where Mm -hmm. The airplanes talk to each other and therefore talk to ATC, and and they get a yeah. better picture overall of traffic management. So yep. with all these rules that are being set into place and all this technology, that is helping. However, population is growing, and it, yeah. it, it seems to be growing in already populated yeah. areas. <laughs> yeah, and I think probably the, the other thing which I, I just thought about this while we're talking about it is... You know, the whole idea behind the slot is to pre- prevent any one airline from having a monopoly in that airport. You know, so um, let's say Legacy Airlines, being the size that it is, has the power and the capability to overwhelm the airport with its presence. And the way that the um, the way that they combat that through the DOJ and DOT and all that is 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 only allow them to have certain slots. In other words, they can only have certain amount of flights going in and out of that airport, and they have to allow other air, airlines to operate out of that airport um, and you know basically compete with them. So that's kind of what that slot thing is all about. You, you own the slot that you have, and you can sell it to a, another airline or a company that's willing to pay for it at whatever price you're willing to do business at. But, you know, so for Roger over there, you know, those are, those um, slots for him in Europe are pretty much the same thing. You know, they, they, he needs to be slotted into that, to that airport because all the other airlines are, you know, are pretty much owning and buying up those slots so that they can get their passengers in and out. And, you know, Roger being a, a, a user of the system still has the right to get in and out. So they'll offer him a slot. I'm sure the fees over there are probably... Landing fees and, and all that stuff are probably, you know, pretty substantial. And, and obviously, his <laughs> his owner and his operator is going to absorb the cost of that. But, you know, I couldn't imagine how, how much it costs. I'm actually kind of curious because I, I know if you land here in Dallas and, you know, yeah, just a general aviation airplane, you know, you, the landing fees are quite hefty as opposed yeah. to landing at some of the, out, you know, the smaller airports on the... Um, 
outside of the Bravo, but um, yeah, I yeah. could probably hundreds if not thousands of dollars to land an airplane there. Yeah, we look forward <laughs> to hearing more uh, about that from Roger. Um, you know, we've mentioned the slot times, and we kind of mentioned what a, an edict is. Now, most of our listeners probably know what an edict is, and, and they've they've dealt with them before. I can remember at Sandpiper, and, and I'm sure you remember these events as well, whenever there was oh, yeah. a little bit of weather into a place like Dallas, um, mm-hmm. and you were at an outstation, and you were you know flying a regional jet back to Dallas, and all of a sudden you got a flow control time, mm-hmm. or an estimated departure clearance time, and you stop and think to yourself, well, the weather's not that bad. Right. Why are we getting this? And air traffic, and you can query the tower or the clearance uh, controller and, and say, why are we getting the edict time? And they're like, it's company imposed. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know that the company paid for so many slots. Now, if they have 100 slots in that particular hour, they would prioritize the mainline pilots or the mainline aircraft to take those slots and whatever was left over, they would prioritize the regional jets or flights that were coming in that had international connections on board. Right. Cause that's where the money is. <laughs> and then they had a tier that you would move down that tier. If you had connecting passengers and then if you, on the lower on the tier was if you were a flight with say 15 passengers on board that day, and none of them were connecting, you got an edict that was hours away. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, the weather's not that bad. Well, it's because they went from maybe hypothetically 200 slots down to 100 slots. And so they have right. to prioritize the, the, they're gonna give those the to. metrics to the, yeah, the flights that take the priority. And it really was dependent on what your passenger load was and if they were connecting or not. And if they were connecting internationally, they got a higher priority. So- yep. Slots are something that we deal with all the time, but here in the U.S., you may not have ever heard that term, or maybe you heard it and kind of was like, okay, now I understand what it is, but you've never had to deal with it. But really, you do. You just aren't on that side of the operation. And yeah. you go, okay, well, we got an edict time. Okay, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. Well, let's board them up, go down to the end, start the APU, and shut them down and sit there and eat a sandwich. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> So, Get on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now when, when the weather degrades at a particular destination, mm-hmm. and now you, instead of having traffic separation, that's maybe three mile separation, right? VFR, three mile separation. You can land every three miles behind the next guy. Totally good. Visual, clear the visual. That's why they want to know if you have the airport seconds, in sight, yeah. right? So three, three minutes behind the next guy or three miles, whatever it is, and then you land. And then they, as they're clearing the runway, now you're touching down, and it's this beautiful, coordinated dance of aircraft. As soon as the weather goes below VFR, and you have to now give an instrument approach clearance, you may no longer keep that tight three nautical mile or three statute mile separation, whatever it is. Now you have to make sure that the aircraft that's behind you has not cross that final approach fix until you've cleared the runway completely. So now you're dealing with much bigger, larger separation, greater. Thank you. Um, 
So when it gets to the point where they cannot maintain that extra separation, they keep you on the ground wherever you are, and you have to wait your turn so that you can enter at a particular time. And that's what an edict is all about. Now, the edict, according to the FAA, is controlled by the Aviation System Performance Metrics, which is data that comes into their central computer that then starts to produce the expect departure clearance times or edicts from its daily TFMS data feed that is provided by the FAA data repository. The edict is the runway release times or wheels off according to the aircraft due to traffic management initiatives or TMIs that require holding aircraft on the ground at a departure airport. The ASPM calculated the edict departure delay is the additional time the aircraft or the flight was held on the ground past its planned wheels off departure time due to TMI, time management. Man, you you start to think, I want to be a pilot. I want to get in aviation. I love to fly. I love the freedom of the controls. And then you start, you know, working your way up for, I want to be an airline pilot and fly a jet. I want to have 300 people in the back of my airplane. When I land, I want them to say, that was a smooth landing, Captain. You know, something. <laughs> and then you start getting into the, the, the minutia yeah. of all of this clearances and off times and slot times yeah. and weight and balance and, and p- angry passengers. And <laughs> like, I yeah. think I just want to go fly a piston powered airplane for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. For being a deregulated industry, it's highly regulated, isn't it? <laughs> That's very well said, sir. Very well said. <laughs> yep. Yep. We all had them, the edicts and the flow times and, you know, clearance void if not off by blah blah blah. You know, it's 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 kind of a part of the part of the the job you can have to deal with. And I, I one of the one of the stories that I like to share with some of my um, friends that travel quite a bit. Um, we were on the ground in I think it was Memphis, and we're headed back to Dallas, and. Like you said, the weather was perfect. Clear day, no, not a cloud in the sky from here to the coast. And um, so, you know, we all get all boarded up. And then next thing you know, we have a, a, an edict time for Dallas. And we're like, you know, first thing you're like, well, what's the problem? You know, why is it so, uh, why, are we, why are we delayed? You know, there's not, there shouldn't be anything delaying us. And come to find out, most people don't realize is right above Memphis, right above Little Rock, is a very, very common airway. I think it's called J66 or J6. And uh, they have to sequence sequence the, the traffic that's leave, departing Little Rock, departing Memphis, onto that airway as you head towards Dallas. So they, you know, they, they look at their little air traffic computer model system and they say, huh, the next space isn't going to be for another 15 to 20 minutes when we have a little, you know, hole in, in, you know, the the traffic of inflow into Dallas. And then that's when you're going to, that's when you're going to, um, fit into the airspace. So there's your delay. And then once you get in the, in the air, 
you know what ended up happening, Tony? Go direct. Turn left. <laughs> yeah, clear direct and go fast. <laughs> hey, slow down. Uh, descend. You know, you start. Yeah. They start playing with you because they need to. They're still trying to fit you in there. They they just had like a little window to get you in the air, and then you get they get you in the air, and then you know things start closing up on them. Things which change the spacing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you end up flying, you know, flying on headings and vectors off the he- off the airway and flying for five minutes in the wrong direction sometimes. <laughs> hey, we need you to slow to your slowest practical. What will it be? You know, and you're you're going, you know, Mach eight one, eight two, and they, uh, point seven two maybe. You know, so <laughs> it's not a helicopter, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can't just you know hang out here. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's that's quite interesting. But yeah, yeah, like what you mentioned, it absolutely is something that we deal with every single day. Is you know, slow down, speed up, and every controller I think has their own idea of how they want to manage their traffic on their scope. Yeah, and so you know, the previous controller might be Albuquerque Center, and their idea is to get you out of their airspace as quickly as possible. And then as soon as you get transferred on to say Denver center, now Denver's like, Oh no, 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 they're not having it. So now you're doing like a 300 mile vector, 20 degrees off your course. And you're like, where, how far are you going to take? And then the thing that sucks about that is you can't really monitor fuel burn. You can't really monitor, um, timing and spacing because now you're not following a path plan or your yeah. plan. And so you're kind of going, okay, well, how many miles off course are we going to go? And what are we going to go direct to after you're done vectoring us? There's nothing wrong yeah. with querying air traffic control yeah. to get a plan. That's a very important point you bring up. A lot of people don't realize is, you know, you have your clearance, you know, what you're cleared to do, what you're expected to do, or what you were assigned to do. What you were filed to do, you know, there's, and then you can take that for altitudes and headings and airspeeds and stuff like that. And like you said, the fuel planning's pretty critical, but you know, hey, what happens if you go lost comms for some reason? Now, the likeliness of that happening in an airline environment is very rare, but you know, if you were on a, on a filed, filed route and then they vector you off the route. Mm-hmm. And you have an electrical problem in your airplane, and all of a sudden you lose your radios. You know, what do you do? You know, do you keep flying that heading until you run out of the gas and land in the nearest cornfield in Iowa? <laughs> you know, so that that's uh, that's important stuff. You know, we good like you said, Tony. It's good to query the ATC. You know, how long am I going to be on this heading? And you know, what can I expect after? That way, you know, you at least have a game plan. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yep. one thing you can do if you're getting a vector and they tell you, can you slow to your slowest practical airspeed, turn uh, right 20 degrees, you can always say, uh, Roger, slowing the best, uh, slowest practical, right 20 degrees, new heading's going to be whatever, 350. Uh, and can you verify that uh, you're not giving us a vector to let Southwest in front of us? If so, I would like your operator <laughs> initials and shift number, please. Yeah, The exactly. next thing you'll hear is, uh, all right, Legacy, maintain best forward speed. You're clear track to the Buckeye VR. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thanks to the last pizza party they had, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't have those anymore. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's funny. Well, you know, well, we went off on a tangent there, didn't we? Well, that's perfect because I was, <laughs> yeah, I was out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs>
I would like to thank you for coming along this journey with us. Uh, Rob and I had a really good time uh, talking about you know, some of the adventures that are, we've been up to in the past few weeks and what we've experienced. Um, really happy about the air show schedules coming back. You can just Google air, local air shows and check out what's going on in your neighborhood and what's around you. Uh, a lot of these air shows bring a hat and plenty of water and a cooler with ice and drinks because it's hot out there. It's still hot out there. Yeah, so check out your local air shows. Just Google air show schedules in your area. Uh, we've had friends that recently attended the Camarillo Air Show. Uh, there was an air wings over Camarillo was on the 21st of, of uh, August, actually. Um, and then in September, uh, we know about the, the Reno Air Show that lasted a week. Uh, we had friends went to that. I went to the Red, Redlands Aero Cup out on the uh, 3rd and 4th of September. And coming up in October, we have some exciting air show opportunities. There's the Great Pacific Air Show in Huntington Beach on the 2nd and 3rd of October. We have San Francisco's Fleet Week Air Show. That is happening Saturday, uh, Saturday, October 9th and 10th. So if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area and you want to see some pretty cool uh, naval or Air Force jets, military aircraft during Fleet Week, that's a great time to check that out. In November, on the 5th and 6th, if you're in the uh, Pensacola area, they're having the Blue Angels perform. So if you can get a Pensacola layover <laughs> on the 5th yeah, there 6th, you go. let me know. <laughs> Over here in, in Fort Worth, like I mentioned earlier, they have the uh, the Bell-Fort Worth Alliance Air Show October 23rd and 24th, and looks like the Blue Angels are going to be performing at that one. Oh, fantastic. Um, also, uh, in Tucson, Arizona, Warbirds at the Davis-Motham Air Force Base. So if you're in the Tucson area on November 6th, that is uh, 6th and 7th, actually. That's a good weekend to be out there in Tucson. So there are so many opportunities. We've only mentioned just a few that potentially yeah. could, could be a great, fun weekend. Bring your family out. It's great for the kids. Yeah, they're fun. Air shows are fun, even if uh, you're not in the... Uh into the uh, general aviation airline industry or what just get out there they're fun to hang out and the sound of these airplanes are, are, are invigorating and you know there's plenty of food to, to eat and attractions to see you know there's a lot of military recruiters but that's kind of how i got got my start so um yeah they're come on out man those are fun yeah well i tell you what uh, if you're going to go to an air show uh, bring for the kids plenty of sunscreen uh, hearing protection if you have a hear uh, hearing uh, headphones that they can wear or earplugs uh, bring your sunglasses lots of water yeah. uh, I don't know if every air show allows backpacks and coolers in but if they do always a good idea to have uh, yeah. one of those and if uh, you have a little folding uh, stool or chair to have yeah, it take definitely. a seat once in a while uh, usually airports don't have very many places to sit down <laughs> so always a good idea to have that and some places allow you to bring in an umbrella so you can bring yeah, an umbrella and shade. use that for the yeah. shade. Um, but yeah, air shows are definitely a, a great place. I remember as a kid, one of the highlights of growing up, I can still remember walking through a C-130 or getting to sit into the uh, into the pilot yeah. seat of a, a Huey helicopter and look at all those fantastic gauges and be like, oh, yeah. man. I used to like when they had the C-5 parked there on static and they'd have the nose of the C-5 up 
and the ramp you know down and you can yeah, walk right walk through, through the airplane and you're you're just a, in awe at the pure size of the thing you know you could pretty much put a basketball court <laughs> right in the side of it um but you, you don't get to see that every day so it's your tax dollars at work so come check it out i know you're paying for it anyway <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> well, tell them i want to take a ride in this thing yeah take me up <laughs> i'm a taxpayer <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, sir. The uh, Joint Strike Fighter is off limits to civilians. Baloney, <laughs> <laughs> yep. take me up. <laughs> yep. Well, that was one. Yeah, that was one thing I remember too. When they had the, uh, the any of the stealth fighters out there, they'd have a oh, yeah. perimeter set up around them. You know, the static display. You could only get within like twenty five feet. And they'd have, you know, a, a, an armed MP. With, you know, a couple of them with M16s, but at least you could see them. Yeah. Yeah, those were, you know, and and times have only gotten more strict on security. So definitely, definitely for sure. Well, thank you for sharing your personal experience with us, uh, Rob. And, you know, big thank you also to you, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Be sure to go check out an air show, at least at least Google an air show schedule around you and keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. We'll see you later. Bye, y'all. All right. Take care. We'll see you.